0: You will find a scripture reading in your program from the book of Nehemiah, an Old Testament book right in the middle of the Old Testament. And I will read from chapter one, verses one through six, and then chapter two, verses 17 and 18. In the month of Kislev in the twentieth year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, that is over in Persia, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. And its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands, let your ear be attentive. And your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. Then in chapter two, after he has himself made his way back to broken down Jerusalem, then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in Jerusalem lies in ruins And its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. They replied. Let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. So far, the reading of God's word. My heart is so full of joy being with you on this day. As I already said, I've had the privilege of watching God work in your midst over the last decade. And it has been beautiful to behold people, some long in the faith some new on their spiritual journey. But as the train is moving, folks getting on board and coming along, eager to see the light of Christ shine brightly here in the Hamptons. And I am I you know, when Mark thanks me for being a mentor to him, I have to tell you how much I have learned from him and from Leslie and though they are younger than I am, their life and their experience and their gifting has inspired me in so many ways. So I, I, I sit at Mark's feet, as he does uh, with me on occasion, and together we just celebrate the great things that God is doing here. I want to begin, if you see in your sermon outline, and just ask this question. Why is Pastor Mark so obsessed with planting a church in the Hamptons. And the answer, of course, is throughout the Bible. Men and women of God and unique leaders of God's people have been willing to go to pick up and go and plant themselves in a community in order to rebuild the momentum for the glory of God. And. Um, In the Old Testament, you know, one of my favorites, just because of what I read to you, one of my favorites is that amazing gentleman known as Nehemiah. And if you read through the book of Nehemiah, his good friend, Ezra, Ezra and Nehemiah, and you could go back to Zerubbabel, were men of great vision and great heart and great passion. And God uniquely worked in them. To come and and go to a place where essentially there was nothing. And to see the church, yes, the Old Testament church established and planted and then flourishing in that place. I know how many times in these two capital campaigns you have heard people say to you, the church is not. A building. Right? What is the church? The church is people. The church is people. And over the centuries, the church has sometimes been confused on this, especially with those glorious uh, cathedrals that have been built in Europe and around the world. Uh, Magnificent works of architecture dedicated to the glory of God, to be sure. But sometimes the church has gotten off track and has started to think, you know, the church is the cathedral or the church is the building. Well, Protestants have strongly affirmed since the Reformation, no, the church is not a building. The church is people and we believe in the priesthood of all believers and that the people of God are made into the temple of God. We believe that. But my old seminary professor, Claire Davis, used to say this. He would say, you know, we Protestants. We need a building to tell people they don't need a building. <laughs> and he's right. We do need a place where we can gather, where we can disciple one another, where our children are safe and where the children can be catechized and Nurtured and where um, the worship of God can happen uh, as the church grows. And so we, we need a building to tell people we don't need a building because in all all places you can go and you are the temple of the Holy Spirit and the church is the temple of the living God. What is the church? So many beautiful biblical word pictures that are given to us. Do you know them? It's the family of God. What is the church? The church is the body of Christ. What is the church? The church is the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. It's Trinitarian, isn't it? God, the Father's family, Christ's Christ's body, it's the bride of Christ as well, the beloved of the risen Lord Jesus Christ, and it's the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Why is Pastor Mark so obsessed with planting the church here in the Hamptons? From whom did he learn this? Well, he might have learned it from Nehemiah or Ezra or Zerubbabel, but you know and I know that they are but dim shadows of the great king and head of the church, Jesus Christ. And Jesus is passionate for his church. James Packer, in his book on Christian leadership, says something startling. He says this. Let me quote him. In his life and ministry, Jesus Christ was much more church-centered than many people think. And Packer comments on that first occasion when we hear Jesus speak the word church. Do you know where he did that? That was in uh, at that moment when he was talking to Peter and the disciples and he turns to Peter and says, who do men say that I am? And you remember uh, Peter responds to Jesus and he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus commends him and he says, blessed are you, Simon, bar Jonah, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. Then what does Jesus say next? Where does he take this magnificent revelation that he is the Christ? Next thing he says, and I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock. I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not overcome it. Why is Pastor Mark so obsessed with planting a church in the Hamptons? It is because Jesus Christ is going to build his church. And today, as many of you become charter members, as we particularize this congregation, we behold the work of Jesus Christ. Risen from the dead at the right hand of the Father. And as the chairman of the commission of the Metro New York Presbytery that is set apart to actually particularize you on this day, what we are doing, though it may seem technical to you, what we are doing is declaring to the world that Jesus Christ has taken his flag and planted it in the Hamptons and the gates of hell shall not overcome it. Hallelujah. Now, Nehemiah, if you ever read or study this book, Nehemiah is obsessed with the walls of Jerusalem and the worship of the people of God. And while we don't have the time today to study through the whole book, but maybe Mark would take a year and preach through the book of Nehemiah. He already may have. It deals with rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem in the first six chapters. And then the renewing of the worship of the people of God, because the worship had evaporated and chapters eight through ten are all about the worshiping community coming again together with zeal for the glory of their God. And then it's so interesting in chapters 11 and 12, it's all about filling in the church and bringing the people in and growing in numbers, gathering the elect of God into the inside the walls to to draw them in and growing the church. And then in chapter 13, it's all about fanning into flame their zeal in discipleship. And and what you have are. The the three faces of the church. And I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but I'm here to reinforce for you that Grace Presbyterian Church has an upward face toward God in worship that you are called every Lord's day to celebrate his glory. Now, there was a young fellow in our church uh, whose mother brought him in, pulled him by the ear, brought him into my office and 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 she, she said, Pastor John. Joey has a question for you. So what's the question, Joey? Joey said. That's not his real name. Uh, But we have some members from our church here today. I don't want to tattle on a little kid. He said, why do we have to go to church? And I said, oh, Joey. You don't have to go to church. You get to go to church. One of the great privileges of your life, Joey, is that while other people are just home in bed or watching cartoons on television, you get to come and be with your brothers and sisters and join your heart and your voice to the praise of the God who made you and the praise of the Messiah who bled and died and redeemed you and you get to come and learn God's Word with God's people. Joey, you don't have to come to church. You get to come to church. That's the attitude moms and dads that we want to have and that we want to bring to our neighbors. Don't ever let them think that you have some sort of mournful duty on the Lord's mornings on Sunday mornings, you get to come and be with God's people. And this is what the church does. And then as Nehemiah goes about gathering the people in, you have this uh, amazing time where Jesus himself said to Peter again, you remember the fisherman, Peter, the fisherman. And he tells Peter, guess what, Peter? No longer are you going to be fishing for fish. What does Jesus tell Peter he's going to be fishing for? Right. But you will be fishers of men. And so Peter emerges as the decades pass by as a great evangelist and as someone whose heart burns to see the people of God brought into the family of God as the bride of Christ into the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Nehemiah was a picture of that moment that Jesus would unpack for us, that we are all, we are all fishers of men. And then, what will the church do? The church will build up the body of Christ. And we are told in the book of Ephesians that Jesus, in Ephesians four, Jesus gives gifts to His church. And he gives these gifts in Ephesians four, of elders and pastors. And teachers, so Jesus again is actually giving these elders, pastors, and teachers to equip the saints, Ephesians 4, 12, to equip the saints unto their service, literally their ministries. You know, as we install Pastor Mark today, technically... He is a minister of the word, but he's not the minister of the church. This church will have dozens of ministers who are the ministers. You are the ministers because you do the ministry. The job of the elders and the job of the pastor is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. And that's where that's where this wonderful character Ezra comes in. And Ezra was the man who, who was brought in uh, to teach the word of God. And we see in Ezra seven, verse 10, and we have one of our guests from Oyster Bay, Christina and Chundia here. She said when she was a little girl, she memorized this verse for Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. And Ezra, Ezra does three things in this verse when Nehemiah says Ezra. You've got to teach these people. Ezra is, is dedicated himself. And Mark, this is a word to you, to the elders who are about to be installed here. This is a word to you. They dedicated themselves to the study of the word of God. Mark, this wonderful salary that they are going to pay you is a time when they want you to study. They actually want you to read and pray. And think. And there will, day, there will be days when you'll come home and Leslie will say, what did you do today, dear? And you will say. I was thinking today. She said, well, yeah, but what were you doing? And you shall say. I was thinking. You know, there's, there's something tragic about the modern evangelical church where the pastor has an office. What did the Puritans used to say? The pastor would go to his study. Now I'm not saying it's wrong to have an office and that we do more. We do far more. Mark does much more than just study. But sometimes study gets shortchanged because of the pressure of everything else. And you need those thinking seasons. All the elders do. They devoted to the study of the word. And then, Mark, you have to practice what you preach. And Ezra studied it, and then it says he put it into practice. He observed what he learned. And so we believe, as we've examined these elder candidates, and as we have examined Mark in the presbytery, we believe these are men who practice what they preach. And we hold them to that standard, as Ezra did, to the observance. He didn't just learn it, he observed it. But what's the third thing he did is He taught others. He discipled others. And so it's not enough just to fill yourself. You can't give away what you don't have, but you better give away what you do have. And so all of us, we are called to give away in discipleship, in nurture, in the spiritual life of others. And that falls most of all to pastors and elders. And of course, the building of the walls was not just having a nice place to meet. But what did the walls mean in the ancient world? In the ancient world, the walls were a place of safety and security. In the ancient world, the walls of the city of Jerusalem, David's city, was the place of the glory of God to dwell in their midst. And so Jerusalem and her walls symbolize They do truly typify the church of Jesus Christ as that community where the broken and battered, the discouraged and the hurting are welcomed to safety and to salvation. That is the church of Jesus Christ and his obsession with rebuilding the walls was so that the people of God would be safe. It was we would say safe in the gospel. Safe in Jesus Christ, who is called the ark that Noah built noah 's Ark was a type of safety uh, through the judgment, and Jesus is the ark well it 's as if the church is the or the walls of Jerusalem welcoming the people of God into the presence of God, and the glory of God is in their midst and so my third point is just this: Nehemiah. His pal Ezra, they have an ambition for God that is holy. And you and I need to ask ourselves, do I have a holy ambition for the building up of the people of God? And on this day, as I will hear when in a few short minutes I ask you this this question of your commitment to plant this church, your answer is yes. The gestation period for a human being is about nine months. For an elephant, it's a lot longer. For a rabbit, it's a lot shorter. Um, but God has designed the gestation period for Grace Presbyterian Church. And when the birth comes, it comes. And that is today. I can only tell you that you folks. And Mark Reynolds here, who is has been involved in the planting of so many churches, Mark would tell you, you are in in, and not not to make your heads big. You are miles ahead of most churches when they are particularized. Your airplane, as it takes off, has great speed and dynamism. This is just such a great day for this community. Is it made up of such extraordinary people? Well, I'm from Oyster Bay, and we like Teddy Roosevelt in Oyster Bay. Mr. Roosevelt's home is Sagamore Hill, right down the street from us. And uh, what a character he is. If you haven't seen the Ken Burns special on the Roosevelt's, Theodore Roosevelt was an extraordinary fellow, except that he never considered himself extraordinary. Charles Swindoll writes in a book on leadership that one day an admirer exclaimed to Teddy Roosevelt, Mr. Roosevelt, you are a great man. And he replied, No. Teddy Roosevelt is simply a plain, ordinary man, highly motivated. I like that. That helps me. I'm not that smart. I don't have that many strings on my guitar, but you don't need to be a genius. You don't need to be Albert Einstein to be used of God to plant the church. But like Teddy Roosevelt, a plain and ordinary man, are you highly motivated by the gospel of Jesus Christ, by the love of God, the father, by the desperate plight of those who are lost and perishing without Jesus? Oh, yes, you are. We are. Andy Stanley calls Nehemiah not an engineer of vision. He calls him a visioneer. I like that term. That's a new word. I don't know if it's made its way into the Oxford annotated uh, dictionary. Don, you'll have to look that up for me. But I like the term. He is a visioneer. I believe Mark is a visioneer. Someone who wants to engineer the strategic and tactical ways to bring this vision of planting this church and growing it for the glory of God to this part of Long Island. And I assure you that you are in my prayers and that uh, I look forward to fellowship just from Oyster Bay, uh, a few miles away. I look forward to rich and encouraging fellowship with you in the days to come. Let's join Nehemiah in joyful worship. Let's commit with him To gather in the people. Let's resolve together to build up the saints. And as we sing the closing song at the end of this service, which is one of my favorite songs by Kristen Getty, we will sing a verse that says, by faith, the church was called to go in the power of the spirit to the lost to deliver captives and to preach good news in every corner The earth. Let us pray. Our Father, we do want to (laughs) preach good news in this corner of the earth. We thank you that you have sent these people to gather in this place at this time. Your providence is inscrutable. Your wisdom is higher than ours. But we know that what is happening here today, as we have heard the report of the campaign committee. But we know, Lord, as you preserved Mark's life through that terrible accident a year ago. But we know as next Sunday, we will hear testimonies of gratitude and thankfulness in this church of, of our hearts full of joy. In knowing you, we thank you that you are providentially building your church. We know our father, the gates of hell will come against her with temptation and accusation and struggle and difficulty. But we believe today and we look forward to declaring in faith the gates of hell shall not prevail against this church for great is our Savior, Jesus Christ, and He will do it. So we make this prayer in His great name. Amen.